them. It's always good to greet friends, but also to greet new people you haven't met before. Folks who God has brought here today, we are not here by accident. God has brought us to this place today for a reason. And I'm grateful that you're here to share in that with me. Find your way back to your seats. And I will just start talking. So, our series that we've been in that actually wraps up today, just kind of sneakily uh, wraps up today because we think that, you know, Advent is over, uh, but we have one more Sunday to celebrate Christmas. This today is, uh, for those of you who follow this sort of thing, and it's not official, it's not in the Bible, but this is, this is still the 12 days of Christmas we're in right now. Yeah. This is seven swans a swimming day. Yeah. And I could not imagine going swimming anywhere, but if I pray if you do, you have a pool heater. So that would be good. Um, it actually, this is all a little apocryphal and how this all came about. It's the, the, the 12 days of Christmas, every day kind of has a meaning. And the seven swans a swimming day talks about the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, interesting. little factoid. It makes no difference to the sermon today. <laughs> and my preaching professor would have said, then why did you share it? <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, and today is also a day where we are going to be uh, celebrating or commemorating or remembering this day in the life of the church that's been celebrated for, for many years now. It's called Epiphany. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, and, and yeah, I think this is a, a special day to keep Christmas going. You see the trees, the wreath is still there. In fact, I'm blocking it, which is not a good liturgical thing. But we have our Christ candle lit on the table as well because the light of Christ has shone into the hearts and lives of men Amen. and women. Amen. Yes, I see that. And women, yeah. All right. All people. All people. Uh, our scripture today, and I, I do want to make one, one more note, I am really grateful for the folks up there because I'm a walker, and I start to move, and the folks up there have to follow me with a camera, <laughs> but it's just who I am, so, um, and, and sometimes I'll get big and animated and knock things over, so, because the arms, but I just wanted to say a special thank you to the folks up there doing that. Our scripture reading today is... From Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, or at least shortly after Jesus' birth. From Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. God, this story is deep in the hearts of, of many folk, including many who are sitting here today. And it is such a great joy to have a story in your heart, and it can also yield ears and eyes that are closed off to a life-giving reading, one that makes sense today, one that speaks to us today. And so I pray, God, that as we go through this passage together, open our, our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts, help us to continue to hear your word afresh today, no matter how many times we've heard it. In your name we pray, amen. In her book, Mixed Blessings, author Barbara Brown-Taylor tells the story of a young girl named Sharon, age five, and she relates the story of Sharon telling the Christmas story to her family. Sharon said, then the baby was born, and do you know who he was? She whispered reverently. The baby was God. Then she leaped into the air, turned around, and dove into the sofa, covering her head with pillows. Barbara Brown Taylor says, it was the only proper response to the good news of the incarnation. And those of us without pillows over our heads may wonder if we really heard it yet. The presents have all been unwrapped, many of the decorations put away, the, the songs have been played and overplayed for some of you, and, and the stores have taken down all of their regalia. So how does Christmas sit with you now? Are you over it? Are you ready for the Rose Parade tomorrow? Some of you may be. All of the New Year festivities, you, you're ready to move on. In our passage today from Scripture, visitors come from the east after Jesus' birth. Sometime, we don't know, it says Jesus is a child, but it's not really quite like that nativity scene you see where the shepherds and the angels and the magi are all together. This is sometime after Jesus was born. Amongst Mary, Joseph, the shepherd and the angels, we usually see those wise men. It's a sweet picture. Everyone huddled together around the baby Jesus. That's a sweet, nostalgic picture, but, but I don't think that's quite the story we're told today. At least that's not the teeth of it, because there's some teeth to this story. And it's the point 
of what we read in Matthew's passage. The past three weeks, we were in Luke. We spent all our time in Luke. Luke spends a lot of time talking about this lead up to the nativity and also of Jesus' birth. But Luke has a way of putting this. He says, the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. That's Luke's way of putting this whole coming of Jesus and what it all means in our lives. What's the point of our passage today? What's so important for us to know that if we heard it, we might, like little five-year-old Sharon, jump up, turn around, and put some pillows over our head and the sofa as well. Well, if there's something to take away today, something that is at the heart of the biblical story, at least told in these gospel narratives, it's something that we can, Christians of every time and every place, gather around. It's this. Good news is only good if it's for everyone. What is that? Why does that matter for us? Well, I'm sure some of you, the wheels are already turning, but, but this may be a time to kind of break down, at least from what the passage presents us today, well, why this might matter. Because of these three signs. The first sign is that good news extends beyond borders. Good news extends beyond barriers. Good news extends beyond the things we build to keep people out. If there's one thing that we humans do well, it's build barriers. Now, this is not a bad thing. Many of you have gone through a lifetime of your own processes and your own, your own life and health to, to establish these things we call boundaries. Anyone out there have done that before, right? This is, this is huge, not just in psychology, but also within the church. Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend um, have written many works on this. And if you've never seen their book, Boundaries, by Cloud and Townsend, please do. It's a great book. And in that, they define what a boundary is. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership, knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. This is, this is wisdom. This is life. These are great things. Unfortunately, these aren't always the kinds of barriers we put up. Oftentimes, we put up different sorts of barriers, not just to take responsibility for what we own, but to keep people out of whatever I want to own this is not a modern political statement. I hope you're not hearing it that way. This is a tale as old as time. This is our lives as they've been lived throughout the centuries and been met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when we put up these barriers, we, attend, we, we begin to think about what's on the other side of that barrier. Right? What is on the other side of that barrier? Who lives over there? And I'm not talking about physical national borders. I'm talking about the things we do all the time to keep people out. This isn't owned by a political party. This isn't owned by a culture. We, we all do this. And it can be hard to see when we ourselves do it, whatever we espouse to be our values in life. It still comes up. This barrier building, we're, we're really good 
And that's where we're met today with the passage, actually. You may not have noticed it because it's so sweet and quaint, these magi coming to worship the king. Is there a country on this planet? I'll go to us today and our national borders. Is there a country that frightens you? You don't have to answer that. (laughs) Is there something that, that gives you dread and fear? Well, take that and multiply it by a few hundred. In fact, imagine that that country already killed members of your family and took you all away to a foreign land already. Like that was part of your story, right? Now you've returned to your homeland, but you're never truly even free. You live under the occupation of other oppressors. Now imagine that the oppressors who took you away and who had you in a foreign land, they've now come back to the place where you live. That's a weird thought experiment, isn't it? One we, we haven't experienced, obviously, as Americans in our lives that we've lived, but there have been people around the world who know this reality, and this is the reality that we find in the passage today. This is the reality of the first century Jews and where they came from. That's what should come to mind when we hear of the Magi. They sound sweet, but for many, that's scary. These are the oppressors returned. What do I mean by that? Well, these Magi, they're astrologers from the land where the Jews were in exile. Typically, I think they're Persian is the Magi and what they come from. They would advise the king in matters of war, including who did you take? What are the spoils of war? What do you take with you? So the very fact that the Hebrew people went into exile in their past came from advisors like this. They looked at the stars and they divined what the gods told them to do. And so now these magi are back. We don't see that. We think they're just so sweet and they're wise, wise men. But a lot is going through the heads of the people as they hear these stories. These magi were advisors. They weren't just star enthusiasts. They told the king when to wage war. And so you can imagine that hearing this story about the magi entering Jerusalem, you heard it in the story. Herod wasn't the only one afraid. Who else was afraid? All the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They hear magi are coming. What does this mean? They're coming to scout things out. They're coming to take people away. Who knows, right? This is all PTSD from what had happened centuries before. And so these advisors are back. The scandal is obvious. I hope it's obvious to you now too. That we're told that even these people, these advisors to the oppressive king, what? They come to what? Worship. Ooh. Now, it's, you might think like, yeah, all right. Well, that's not what the Jewish people are thinking at this time. And it may not be what you would be thinking if you were in that spot. These are the bad guys. Across in another land having returned. And this story doesn't paint them as the bad guys. They are the good guys. 
What? Do you see how Scripture surprises us? And when we read it and we understand it in those, those terms, in the ways that folks have read it in the past, it is surprising. It's painful even. Stuff we kind of want to ignore. But you see, God's good news extends beyond barriers. We don't own this king. No one does. This king isn't tribal. This king isn't claimed by one culture. This king isn't defined by generations or denominations. This king is the king of all times and places. The reason this passage is front and center today focuses on that for us and for anyone who reads it with that eye. We call this epiphany. I've mentioned it already. It's the celebration and the notion that the light, it's blocking, you can't see the light, it's there. The light that is Christ was shared with all people. I'm a Gentile. The only reason I stand here before you today proclaiming Christ as my Lord is because of this. Amen? Some of you may have Jewish blood and lineage in you, and great, you would have been in there the whole time from the beginning. But those of us who come from Germanic tribes, right, or, or Eastern or, or anywhere, we're, we're welcomed in. It's mind-blowing. And that's epiphany. The, the king of the Jews was the king for the whole world because God's people at all times and all places have been the called to be the kinds of people who would also be for the world, to bless the world beyond our petty barriers, beyond anything we create to keep others out, right? Maybe especially in those places, the light of Christ shines. Do you, like me, spend a lot of time thinking about what's on the other side of those barriers? What lies, what scary thing, what scary people? And I'm seriously not, don't, don't, go, to your, don't go to the people who don't think like you and think about them. Think about you, right? Regardless of where you come from, what politics you hold, we all do it. Who are those people? Do you spend time thinking about them? Do you see, hear, and read stories about those people? Have you condemned them already? I'll be honest, I do this in my own heart. So if you don't do it, then I guess I'm alone up here. And that's okay. I can own it. I did this the other day when I was looking at the website of a Christian movement that was doing some, what I thought, unorthodox and faulty theological, uh, theological things. And I looked at them, and I had a lot of judgment in my heart for what they were doing. And then I realized that they were doing something that maybe I couldn't do. They were reaching a group of people, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in a way maybe I couldn't. And I, I needed to see that beyond my barriers, beyond my borders that I put up about who is in and who is out and who is right and who is wrong, God was doing something that I couldn't understand, right? Maybe here, 
but maybe I could here. These people are coming to Jesus from a different place than me, but they're coming to Jesus. Instead of feeding that fear, I need to remember that the good news of the birth of the king extends beyond all barriers. That's the first sign. The second sign is this, that good news excludes no story. Good news excludes no story. I was told recently by a friend that, that they were sharing kind of what was going on in their family and someone told them, don't share that, especially not in the church because it's shameful. You don't want to do that. That's not good. And this friend was sharing it to, to, to receive maybe some consolation or understanding or counseling or some help or it's just presence. And it, it was met with, no, oh, don't do that. Not here. Because that's not what we do at church. We hold those things. And, and that friend was kind of confused from what they know about who Jesus is and who we are as believers. But see, this has been a prevailing attitude. At least in the churches I've grown up in, if not totally outrightly said, it, it's there, right? Don't say that. You don't say that in the midst of the people because it's shameful. I sometimes wonder if we put on this show ourselves because we're worried if we people knew what was here, how would they respond? Would I be excluded from or despised for some reason? What if they knew about my grandson's addiction? Or the way I manage my money, right? Or the doubts that I hold in my heart. Okay, so you're wondering, why are you talking about this? Where did that come from? Well, back to the Magi for a moment. The Magi weren't just from another land. They weren't just from the land of the oppressors. The Magi were astrologers. They were diviners. Divination in the Bible, that's a bad thing. Diviners don't inherit the kingdom of God. They don't know the will of God. They just run about rampantly looking at signs in the sky. They don't understand. Their hearts and minds are clouded, we're told. But wait, these magi come to Jesus, the, not just the foreigner person, but the bad person comes to Jesus. They weren't just from the wrong side of the tracks. They were engaged in things that were also taboo. Things that were despised by the people of God. And it's these shameful people in the story who get it right. And I'm not saying they're right for divining. That's not the point of the story. The point is not, oh, so go about divining the stars. No, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is even the people who do things that make me uncomfortable or that I judge as really wrong and bad, these people can come and worship the king. They're invited to kneel with their gifts before God, their maker. You see... This king is different. 
This king wants us, no matter our background, no matter if we've uh, been, uh, lived a dangerous life or boring life, right? Amen. God wants us. No matter if we've been to jail or never even been out of state, right? God wants us. Whatever your hang-up, your hang-up is with you or with others, it doesn't bother the king. The king wants you to worship. The king wants you to be in the king's kingdom. The king wants you, all of you. In fact, this king has no time for the culture that shames people. That sort of politics or religion or social media trend is not for the king. The king offers an invitation even to the folk who are mean-spirited, who exclude, who hate, who are afraid. This kingdom is for those people too. The invitation is out there. It's not God saying, go ahead and keep on hating as long as you cut. No, 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 no. There's discipleship to come. (laughs) There's discipleship and transformation, a thing we call sanctification. It comes. But these people are invited, invited to worship the king. Why? Because this good news excludes no story. The third sign is that this good news, it can be hard to hear. And you might be thinking, well, I wish you would have ended on a good note. But this is where it gets tricky. See, the message of embrace and welcome radically spoken about in this passage is not always accepted. Why? I I can't answer for everyone. But I think many of us have created our lives on different versions of the king. Many of us have erected the barriers to keep people out. Many of us have defined who's in and who's out. In the story, the figure who captures this idea is Herod. Herod is known uh, throughout history as a crafty leader. He's, he's kind of shrewd. He utilized his father's power in Rome to build up his own kind of kingdom, if you will. So what happens when Herod, the king of the Jews, hears about the birth of this baby king of the Jews. Well, what happens is something of biblical proportions. Let me explain. Well, way back, way, way back in the story when the Jews found themselves in Egypt, the founding of kind of their their peoplehood, the Egyptian king looked at them and how numerous they were becoming. Some of you may know this story from Exodus. And how they were getting and growing stronger and stronger every day. And he panicked into thinking that once they grew strong, they would destroy him and his people. So what did he do? Did he decide to make friends with them? He decided to subjugate them, to enslave them. To oppress them. Something that scares me. This whole message is scary. It's made to be. And people like Pharaoh responded this way. In fact, he issued a decree to all his people. He said, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. We don't want them to keep on growing stronger and stronger. Let's defeat their strength. Let's kill every baby boy. 
The deranged king is now killing infants. But see, here's the interesting thing. We might say it's deranged. We might say it's madness even. This guy's crazy. We might call it evil. It is. But the story doesn't say that right away. The reason he does what he does, the story tells us, is he thought it was wise. It was wisdom for him. He wanted to be shrewd. Hmm. See, why do we turn to our attention to Pharaoh? Because this is the same spirit that infects Herod. Let me, let me read real quick what happens after what we had already read. This is what transpires after that. You can read it on the screen as I go. From Matthew 2, verses 16 and following. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Remind you of anything? And its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You see, today we do remember Epiphany, the time when the light comes to everyone, but but the response to that is not always great. That's a scary proposition for some. And so this day, we also remember this, this time called the Massacre of the Innocents. When, when Herod went and killed every baby boy two years and under in Bethlehem and in the vicinity. This is indeed a dark time, and it needs to be remembered. We sometimes put these things, these sad thoughts out of our brain, but we realize this is how people deal with the good news sometimes. This is how we sometimes deal with the good news dare I say, in our own ways, and we defend it, but we do. There are links that some go to when they hear the good news that is for everyone. The good news is that the king has come. The king will make all things right. The king will indeed conquer the enemy. The king will put an end to the madness that plagues us. The madness that masquerades fear as righteousness, that props up oppression as wisdom. That sort of condition isn't the sole property of one side of the political aisle. It's not the action of one culture. It's something, not something that just one nation or people do. It's, it's our human condition. And in Matthew and in the other Gospels, they begin to tell the story. We're only in the birth of Jesus here, friends, so there's, there's still more of the story to be told. But they begin to make the case that the king is doing something that might give us a headache. The king welcomes people we don't want to have be welcomed. The king loves the unlovable gives hope to the hopeless, peace to those in chaos. This is the good news. 
extended to the world on this day we celebrate the light that has come into the world, shared with the world. That's the story that, is, that goes on and is extended to everyone at all moments. Through this and through this, those people who look differently than me, who act differently, who live their lives differently, that's their good news too. This isn't a matter of insiders and outsiders, so we don't start to begin to create more outsiders. It's, that's not the way of God's kingdom. The invitation is always extended for everyone to join the king. Whatever magi come down the road, we best believe that good news is for them too. You see, little Sharon could throw those pillows over her head because she was able to come straight to Jesus. She was able to come with the good news that the baby was God. She didn't have these barriers erected around her yet. And what if, what if, as, as Jesus says, the kingdom belongs to these little ones? What if we could approach this newborn baby with that same spirit. Not thinking about who else is going to be there with us. Maybe celebrating who's going to be there with us as we worship the good news king of the universe. Good news is only good news when it's for everyone. Those without pillows over our heads may wonder if we've really heard it yet, let's pray. God, we thank you for this good, good news. <laughs> and sometimes this good, good news it reveals what's in our hearts. God, I pray for courage to allow your word to, to read our hearts and our minds. Not me, but allow your word to. God, allow the wisdom that is in Scripture to cut deeply into our, our hearts and our minds to separate bone from marrow, to separate what is of the kingdom from what is not. Help us to hear and see those people who, who are considered outsiders in our lives that we may tell and live the good news that we have received in you. Because we know, God, that's the only reason we're here. The only reason we proclaim faith in you is because of your gift. Help us be those same gifts to others as we offer our gifts to God, our King, the author and perfecter of faith, the giver of all good news. And so hear us now, God, as we pray together the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.